Hello, welcome to the Proskauer Brief, Hot Topics on Labor and Employment Law. I'm Harris Muffson. On today's episode, I'm joined by Tony Ansidi, and we're going to discuss recent developments in California law. So, Tony, on April 30th, the California Supreme Court issued a unanimous decision in a case involving a new test for independent contractors. Can you describe what happened in that case? Sure. What the California Supreme Court did in that case is uh, essentially overrule itself from a 30-year precedent. Uh, so the rules had been well established in California with respect to who was and was not an independent contractor. And uh, the net result of this ruling is that far fewer workers now can be or will be properly characterized as independent contractors, which means that far more workers will be characterized as employees. And that has a number of very significant implications, obviously. And so this California Supreme Court ruled that a new test applies to assess whether or not an individual is an employee versus an independent contractor. Can you describe the new test that now is applicable to uh, analyze that that issue? It's actually relatively simple, and they uh, dub it the ABC test, so it's uh, uh, almost schoolyard uh, simple. And uh, maybe that's good news, maybe that's bad news. It's perhaps good news in terms of being able to follow uh, what the rules may be, I think always a good thing. Uh, but maybe bad news in terms of the application that we're going to probably see, which is, as I say, sweeping many more people into an employment uh, relationship who many of them may not have wanted to be in an employment relationship. That's that's the interesting, uh, one of the interesting aspects of the independent contractor situation. There's almost a conspiracy uh, in many times between the hirer and the worker uh, to be so characterized as an independent contractor and not as an employee because there are benefits that flow to both parties by having uh, the independent contractor status. So the ABC test is three parts, obviously, the first of which is that the worker must be free from the control and direction of the hirer in connection with the performance of the work. So there's essentially going to be no supervision that's being exercised over the independent contractor. Number two, the worker must perform work that's outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business. That's the biggest problem, I think, for most of these workers. That is, you have a situation where if you're hiring an individual who's essentially doing the same thing your business is doing or some aspect of of what your business is, that's probably not going to be an independent contractor. That's going to be an employee of some sort. The Supreme Court gives the example of a department store hiring somebody to do work on the plumbing. Well, the department store is not in the business of plumbing, and so they are bringing in a individual to work on their plumbing. That probably would be an independent contractor. On the other hand, if they're bringing in somebody who's going to uh, work uh, in the capacity that the, the business itself operates, much less likely that's going to be an independent contractor. And then finally, the worker must be uh, customarily engaged in independently established business or trade uh, of the same nature as the work that he or she is performing for the hiring entity. I, again, essentially su suggesting that there's got to be an independent business that they are in, which is separate from the business that they are performing services for. I thought one other in interesting aspect of this decision is that the court now ruled that workers in California are presumed, the default presumption is that they are employees, um, as opposed to independent contractors. And also, I guess there's now this distinction between the economic realities test that is applied under federal law versus the ABC test that is now applicable in, in California. The multi-factor test, which is really what this, this ABC test test replaces uh, was uh, a little bit more fuzzy, and I think there are some disadvantages that come with some kind of ambiguity like that. But the clarity of this test uh, and the severity of this test is going to make it much more difficult 
for many employers, uh, I think, to deal with this because I, I think many were caught flat-footed by this development. Where we're going to see an immediate uh, and significant impact, obviously, is in the, in the gig economy, where you have essentially all Uber drivers for the most part and all Lyft drivers for the most part and all Grubhub delivery people basically treated as independent contractors. Now, of course, there's been tons of litigation over that. Uh, but this may very well uh, close down that debate, and they will all now quite possibly be characterized as employees. So in addition to the Supreme Court's decision addressing the test associated with independent contractors versus employees, there's also been some additional key developments in California law or potential developments, um, uh, legislative developments. And can you can you talk a little bit about the pending bills in the state Senate? Sure. This is um, a species of what I call don't just stand there, do something. And since the Me Too movement began last October, uh, there has been uh, efforts both at the state and federal level uh, to do something about uh, what is perceived to be this significant wave of sexual harassment uh, allegations and uh, activities. I'm, I'm not sure anything has changed since last October other than the fact that it's become much more apparent because many more people are talking about it and I think many more people are bringing claims, but I'm not sure activities have spiked since last October. Nonetheless, what legislatures such as California are doing are uh, considering new laws and sharpening existing laws in a way that would make it essentially easier for victims of discrimination and harassment to uh, file and, and win their claims. And so right now there are pending at least three separate pieces of legislation in California, none of which have yet passed, none of which have yet been signed into law, but um, all of which may in some form or another make it into law. And essentially what these do is they limit or they ban non-disclosure agreements in the context of sexual harassment or sexual assault uh, allegations and lawsuits. They make it easier for uh, victims of sexual harassment to prove their cases by adjusting the standards that need to be satisfied in order to uh, prove a case. In instances of situations in where, where you've got the already existing laws that protect non-employees, for example, unpaid interns, volunteers, independent contractors, there's an extension now of liability not only for sexual harassment but all forms of harassment and discrimination, which, is, which would be a significant uh, change in the law. There's uh, an expansion of uh, training that would be required right now in California for large employers with 50 or more employees. They need to train uh, supervisors once every two years for at least two hours. This would expand the requirement of training to non-supervisors in addition to uh, the existing employees that must be trained. And that alone is going to be a significant change because many employers don't currently train in a formalistic way. Uh, their non-supervisory employees, and this might now become uh, a new requirement. And then finally, and maybe even most importantly, is the fact that the whole Me Too movement is being used, I think, in some respects by the plaintiff's bar as a way to, uh, kind of as a Trojan horse, to attack arbitration agreements. They don't like arbitration agreements. In California, we have seen with alarming regularity 10 and $15 million single plaintiff verdicts uh, come down. Uh, from the juries in Los Angeles and some of the other big cities. Plaintiff's lawyers obviously like to uh, have those kinds of uh, verdicts, uh, either in fact or by way of threat, when you're trying to settle a case. Uh, that rarely happens in an arbitration context, and so as a result of that, most plaintiff's lawyers in California don't like arbitration. And so they are 
uh, jumping, I think, on the bandwagon with respect to this Me Too set of developments by saying, oh, and by the way, let's also get rid of arbitration agreements. And I think that's a completely different debate. It has nothing to do with real liability issues. It has to do with um, the expected potential outcome of a particular case. What's interesting is, as the Me Too movement has developed, there really, we haven't seen much uh, legislation on the federal front. I mean, there's been an IRS regulation that uh, that was passed in, in connection with the tax cut bill. But beyond that, there really hasn't been uh, any legislation from the federal level. But states are now, I think, picking up the ball. So we've seen some recent legislation in New York that has passed both the state and, and the New York City level that has mandated additional training, has expanded statute of limitations, has addressed the issue of arbitration agreements, et cetera. Uh, we actually had a uh, podcast on that the other day. So I think we'll continue to see more states, uh, particularly blue states, picking up the ball and, and uh, generating additional legislation on this on this front. Yeah, I think that's right. And especially, you know, we're in an, we're in an election year. And so this is a great issue for legislators to run on either candidates uh, who are already in office or those who seek to be in office. And as I say, I think it's a, um, a perfect example of don't just stand there, do something. So everybody wants to be viewed as being proactive uh, in this important area. Yeah, so that's something we'll continue to monitor. Thank you for joining us on the Proskauer Brief today. Stay tuned for more insights on the latest hot topics in labor and employment law, and be sure to follow us on iTunes.